Mark and I have a lot in common. Height is not one of them. Uh, well, thank you, Mark and Jen, for having us here. Uh, we've made a couple of trips to Denver in the last couple of years. Uh, this is my third one. We live in Okinawa, Japan. We'll be there for, it would have been nine years next month. It will be nine years next month. I'm a teacher for military kids. So I work in the Department of Defense school system. There's schools all around military bases over the world. I teach 11th grade and 12th grade English and government and love it there. When we left Germany and we go to Okinawa, I knew about Cadence. I was involved in Cadence Ministries uh, where Mark and Jen were involved in, in Okinawa. So I wrote this guy at the harbor when we were in Germany getting ready to PCS, uh, move to uh, Okinawa, and I was like, hello, my name is Ron. We're going to be moving to Okinawa. And this dum-dum writes me back. This, uh, he was kind of mean, uh, but he was very, he's like, I look forward to meeting you. And I, and I was like, well, I don't know. Is that, is that true? The first time I walked into the harbor, Mark was in the corner. We, at our old church, there was like this cabinet where all the electronics was. And Mark was in the corner fiddling with stuff, and I walked up to him, and I was like, hi, I'm, I'm Ron. Hey, welcome. Goes back to fiddling. I'm like, I'm either going to love this guy or the opposite. Turns out I love him. So uh, Mark is my best friend and uh, really glad to come here. Coming to Denver before we spend the summer, my folks live in Rhode Island. Christy's folks live in uh, Seattle area. So this is a good entry point to America. We get to relax here with the Oshmans, have a great time, and then we go to craziness of family uh, coming up. But I'm uh, happy to be here today talking to you Redemption Parker folk, because if it were up to me, okay, if, God, if, if Mark listened to me instead of God, he would still be in Okinawa. Uh, I did not want them to go. And I think God still may move them back in, by Christmas time, but I, I don't want to... <laughs> Uh, I really, we love, watch, we love the Oshmans like you probably do as well, and we loved watching this church go from last year, we, we were participating in the home church, to this year, there's a building and there's a lot of people, and next year when we come, we haven't been invited yet, but uh, next year when we come, who, who knows, you know, Mark might be on TV by then, with any luck. Uh, but I am excited to be here to Redemption Parker because your church plant is very similar to the church plant we're involved with in Okinawa. We ha we're part of an organization, a church is called Pillar, and the church is set up around military bases, mostly in America on the East Coast. There's one in Hawaii. There's, uh, we're the first one overseas in um, Okinawa, Japan, and we're right outside of Kadena Air Base. Great location. And we went in, moved into our building just about a month before you guys moved into here. So it's been exciting to see the Oshman's ministry with Redemption Parker parallel with ours, and it's just really exciting. And I'm glad to be here today to talk about this. Now, I know you, you were off last week, and the week before that, you were in Philippians. And uh, just looking at some of the things you talked about with Philippians, you talked about three key words, I think, or marked it anyway, you listened. Uh, the words would be justification and sanctification, and eventually glorification. These are three theologically rich words that we as Christians, we hold dear. These are very important to us. And while we're not in Philippians today, the concepts are going to still be true here, especially with justification. Mark talked about justification, that it's, it's the right standing before God. And that's important, is that we, it's a legal de declaration that we are pure and right before God, our Creator. And that's something that we need to embrace and enjoy the beauty of that. But then there's another one. There's another word that goes hand in hand with justification that we don't often hear in theological circles and churches, and that is the idea of adoption. 
And so today I wanted to talk to you about this theological word of adoption for how important this is to our Christian life and how it's parallel to that of our justification word as well. So when we look at justification, God's a judge who declares us free. With adoption, this parallel word, God is a father who declares us family. And that's a big difference. God being a judge who declares us free, that is a theological truth that we ought to rejoice in. But we forget about this other side, that in adoption, God is a father who declares us family. Now, I love talking about adoption. Adoption is very important to us in theological circles. I'm going to give you three of the the main reasons why I love adoption. (laughs) These are the three best reasons why I love adoption. This is Grace, Josiah, and Hudson, our three children that we adopted while, we, while we've lived in Okinawa. All three children are Japanese, born in mainland Japan, and over the last six years, one by one, have come to our home. So we are very connected to adoption on an earthly level. But on a spiritual level, let me tell you this. I've been a Christian now for 30 years. My 30th high school reunion is next week. That's depressing. <laughs> However, what's not depressing is this. I've been a Christian for about 30 years. I have not learned anything more than the Christian life. Well, hold on, let me rephrase this. Adoption has taught me more about the Christian life than anything else I've learned in the last 30 years. Adopting these three children has spoken more to me and my understanding of God the Father than anything else I've learned in 30 years. This is an important topic for us today. And I wanted to show you at least what I hope to accomplish this morning. One is that, the first one, is that I I want this doctrine of adoption, the spiritual adoption, to give us a richer perspective of God the Father. Sometimes we we think of God as the judge, which he is, but we forget to think of him as the Father. The second is to look for ways to financially and prayerfully help those who are trying to adopt, including in your community here at Redemption. Is that uh, the first one is the spiritual adoption. This one's an earthly adoption. How can we help people? And then the third ways is to find tangible ways to help what the Bible refers to as widows and the orphans. And perhaps you move toward earthly adoption as well. So at this end, can you join me in prayer? Father, I pray that you would teach us something today, Lord. I pray that you would give me words to communicate the beauty of you as our Father, Lord. I pray that you would move people's hearts, Lord, to be better connected to you as their Father, Lord, and perhaps encourage people for earthly adoption. Thank you for our time together. Amen. We have two verses I wanted to look at. First is going to be Ephesians, and then we'll look at a verse in Galatians. So let's first turn to Ephesians. You were in Philippians, so just go back a book. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, the beginning of the chapter, verses 3 to 8. I'm going to read this for us. Paul tells the church at Ephesus this great overview of the gospel. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in every in Christ, in every spiritual blessing and in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, 
making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. Paul gives us this, just this great description, this passage of the beauty of your salvation in Jesus Christ. And you can't miss a few things here. Uh, as, we, as we look at some key phrases, we see that before the foundation of the world, this was set in motion. Before the foundations of the world, God thought about this concept of adoption. This was not a last-minute thought. Before the foundations of the world. tells us when. Moving down gives us the how. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons. This was a volitional act of God to adopt us sinners to become sons. And then why, why does God do this? For the praise of his glorious grace. Adoption, both on the earthly level of adoption and the spiritual level, is to give glory and honor to God. I love that passage. We see another passage. Let's flip down to uh, Galatians. Just go back one more book if you're in a book, uh, or I have it on the screen here. Galatians 4, 1 to 7. Paul's going to talk about the differences between slavery and sonship in this passage. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, as though, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you were sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you were no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the gospel in one sentence. It's a very clear overview of the gospel in one verse, one sentence. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those, that's you, by the way, in your pre-Christian state, to redeem those who were under the law so that you might receive adoption as sons. This idea that we see this fullness of time, it implies that there's a plan for adoption. God waited for the right time and the right place and the right situations and the right plan. Jesus, sending Jesus to adopt us. Jesus and adoption were not last-minute thoughts because someone on earth screwed up and God had to come up with a quick plan B to adopt these people. But rather, this was the plan. And God was waiting for the fullness of time to send Jesus to complete this adoption decree for us spiritually so that we become sons. God's purpose does not conclude with redemption, but rather it culminates with adoption. When we become Christians, we often know the idea of justification. We're justified. We're made right in front of God, and we like that. But sometimes in our Christian life, we stop there, and God, we're just pleased that we're not in trouble anymore. But we forget that there's this whole other side of theological power and beauty that we miss. So this concept of, of the, uh, justification and adoption are different. J.I. Packer has this great quote where he shows us this. He says this, by contrast, this, meaning justification, with adoption. Adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. 
To be right with God, the judge, is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. Do the words closeness, affection, generosity describe your relationship with God the Father? Is that how you would describe your, your relationship with the God of the universe? If it doesn't, then the study of adoption is something that you ought to look at a little closer. I want to illustrate this difference between justification and adoption with these two pictures. I'm going to show you one picture here. This right here, when we went through our adoption with our son Hudson, our oldest, he's seven now, he's in the kids' room, um, we received, after lots of paperwork, a year of paperwork in Japanese family court, one day in December, we received this. And the, the one on the left is the uh, official Japanese piece of paper. It's just a piece, one piece of paper. And then the other, one on the right is the translation. This is the final decree, the adoption decree. This says, Monato is now Hudson Koya, and he now is the son of Ron and Christy. My middle name is on there. Don't look. If you call me it, I'm going to hurt you later. Uh, is that, uh, this is the adoption final decree document that declared Hudson our son. This is our son Hudson's the official legal paperwork from the decree. This is the justification. This was a happy day for us. We even probably cried a little bit at this because it was such a, we were rejoicing at the legal status of our son Hudson. But this doesn't necessarily give us the full picture of sonship, does it? This would be as if I walked around the house, you are now my son, as if I'm a robot, although my kids would probably like it if I talk like a robot more. Uh, you are now our son. It has been legally declared. Now, yes, it has been legally declared. Well, just recently, Hudson uh, gave me this piece of paper that shows the adoption side of things. This is another one-sheet piece of paper, but can you see how this is different than the first sheet? The first sheet of paper, legal status. The second, I love daddy. <laughs> I like this one better. I need that first one, but I feel more connected with this second one, if that makes sense. The second one couldn't fully happen without the first one, just like our adoption spiritually wouldn't happen without being justified and made right in the sight of God. And so we need these two together. And so is your relationship with God the Father more like the first final judgment? You are now God's, uh, you are free in front of God. Is that where you live your Christian life? That's where you should start your Christian life. But we should continue to live in the truth of this Christian life, that we, have, we are, we are uh, uh, recipients of God's love from father to son. And that's really important as we study this doctrine of, of adoption. Well, God used this idea of the fullness of time to expand our family. I grew up, probably like some of you, where adoption was a curse word. My brother and I would, would yell it at each other. Neither of us were adopted, but we would yell it at each other. You're adopted. And that was like a swear word. And, you know, there was, there's a bit of me that I wondered if I was sometimes, you know? Uh, there's a, a story, it might be heretical, I don't know, that my mom started to walk out with the wrong baby from the hospital and the nurse. I didn't ask her that. I don't, I don't know if I want to know. It's like, Ma, how can you walk out with the wrong baby? But anyway, that's another story. I'll talk to her next week. Uh, but the, the idea that the, we slung this word around as an insult, because to be adopted, that was worse than being stupid. Calling each other stupid, the next level was adopted. And I was scared about that. 
you see it in movies. Adoption is, is a thing that you can easily make fun of. You can't make fun of a lot of things in movies. Everybody's sensitive about everything. But you can make fun of people being adopted, no problem. Just listen with adoptive family ears, and you'll hear all the easy jokes that it's a good insult to insult people with. When Christy and I were married, we talked that, yeah, adoption someday. After we have our own kids, we'll look at adoption. That's a good idea down there. Well, that someday came when we were trying to have our own kids, and we had some fertility issues. And so uh, we spent a few years with infertility. At this time, we moved overseas. We were from Oregon. We moved overseas to Korea, and then we moved to Germany uh, with DOD teaching, seeing some doctors and, and uh, working through some infertility issues. But during this time, we had we'd left the church plant in Portland. When we moved overseas, we disconnected ourselves from church life. We listened to good podcasts. I read good Christian books. We listened to sermons once in a while, but we went to church sometimes, but we never had any community anymore. So we removed ourselves from community, and so we're in this great struggle, perhaps a biggest struggle of our marriage, um, trying to deal with some difficult issues with infertility with nobody around, no Christian witness, no Christian comfort, no Christian counseling, and we were just by ourselves. Now, this isn't in the notes, but let me tell you this. There is, if there's anybody in this room who can tell you the importance of Christian community outside of Sunday mornings, or in addition to Sunday mornings, it's Ron and Christy Koya, because we know that we were without it for four years during a very hard struggle. And I'm going to steal a line from one of my favorite preachers, Mark Oshman. I've heard him say this many times, is that if you do not have Christian community and something terrible happens in your life, it's too late to get it. So you can't instantly have struggle with infertility or miscarriage and think, oh, let's see, who can be my best friend now? That doesn't work like that. And so we need to seek out Christian community. And if you're not in a gospel community, what you guys call them here, we call them missional communities. At the harbor, we call them community groups. Who cares what they're called? Get in one. Get in one today. Your lives are busy in suburbia right here. I know they are. The most important thing you can do Come to church on Sundays and get involved with people's lives that you can share the hard, messy things with each other. It's the most important thing that you can do as a Christian. Well, in these four years, we've had, we, we really struggled with this. Then we moved to Okinawa, and in all my joking aside with uh, giving Mark a hard time, uh, Mark and Jen were unbelievable to us in this time. Um, we still were real private about being uh, having these issues with fertility. It's a very sensitive thing. If some of you, I'm sure somebody in your body struggles with infertility. I guarantee you. Um, it's a very shameful thing, and it's, it's hard to talk about. But Mark and Jen and their kindness and their uh, friendship really helped us move forward in those areas to at least talk about it and to start looking at it. And uh, during this time, a few things happened. Some key areas happened is that, uh, one, we were in a community group, and we heard about this adoption agency called Inokeshin that works in Okinawa. So that was the first thing. We started to meet some people who had adopted some Japanese children. The second thing that happened is I read this book called Adopted for Life by Russell Moore. And I read it in a day, and by the end of the book, I was ready to adopt, honestly. And the third thing that happened, and this is why one of the many reasons why I love the Oshmans, you're going to get tired of hearing me say that this sermon. Uh, one of the many reasons is that I was... I was, we were part to watch the adoption of their daughter, Rebecca, during this time. From 
hearing about Rebecca to seeing pictures about Rebecca. And they went, Jen had to be in Thailand for an extended period of time for some legal paperwork. And Mark and I flew to Thailand. I still don't know why I went along here, why I was like the tag-along adoption friend. Uh, <laughs> but we went to uh, Chiang Mai and seeing this picture of adoption unfold and then coming back with Rebecca and seeing Rebecca integrate into their family and into our church family at the harbor, that's what was solidified our idea for adoption. And so we pursued adoption. We filled out some paperwork in early 2010, uh, late 2010 rather, didn't hear anything. We didn't, we're not the kind of people to get baby rooms painted or anything like that. We just were like, okay, our paperwork's in and lived our life as normal, went on a few trips and all this. Well, end of February, we get this call. Friday, it was a Friday, I was at work. Christy called me after the agency called her, and they said, we have an 11-month-old boy. Would you like to take him? And this is, I'm at work in the copy room, copying dittos, you know. Uh, let's, let's take a day to talk about it, pray about it. So the next day, we said yes. This was Saturday, and Hudson was coming on Thursday. Saturday to Thursday. You guys with nine months, amateurs, okay? We had six days. Uh, and I remember that Jen Oshman took Christy shopping, and she's like, Christy, shut up. You need this, 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 this. Shut up. You don't know anything. Uh, and so Thursday, we drove to the airport where we meet all of our children. Hospitals, pfft, so passe. Uh, we drive to the Okinawa airport, and we met Hudson. Uh, and you'll see some pictures here uh, of Hudson at the airport, and uh, we love this picture in that second one up top, is that that's our first glimpse of, of Hudson, and uh, it was good, <clears throat> it was good. And uh, here's my favorite picture of Hudson on our first night, and uh, I love that, because even though we have no genetic code in common, I still think this looks like me. Uh, <laughs> look at that smile, that's my smile right there. And in this community group, now let's go back to community group. We went from dealing with infertility with no community, feeling lost and lonely. Now our community group was thriving uh, at, in the Harbors Ministry. And in this community group, one of our dear friends, Megan, she put on, this is March now, she put on a Thanksgiving dinner. And it it's, one, it's one of those memories that it shows the importance of community because it's such a silly thing. It's turkey and ham. But it's so much more than that. It was, we had a group of people celebrating something. And it was the culmination of, of all this, the shame and sorrow and loss moving to joy and scary and happiness and now community. And so like I saw Rebecca entering into the community of faith at the harbor with the Oshmans, here we had Hudson coming into this community group with people who love Hudson, and Hudson will grow up to love. And I love that idea. Our two worlds are different, struggling with infertility and then the joy of adoption with community. It's all about community. One is lacking, one is overflowing, and we're so grateful for that. We also, the fullness of time came again with Josiah a year later. Uh, Josiah is a, was a five-month-old. Here's my favorite picture of Josiah here at the airport. Just love this look with Christy and me uh, holding his hand and him looking at us. And uh, if, you, if you know Josiah, which you don't, uh, but if, if you knew Josiah, you would know that this captures our boy's personality so well. 
And then a year later, fullness of time came again with baby Grace, our three-month-old, once again going to the Na'aha Airport that will always have special meaning for us uh, as we go and meet our children for the first time. Well, <clears throat> in this, we, we look at the difference between divine adoption and or heavenly adoption and, and earthly adoption. And even in the midst of this paperwork, 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 and there's a lot of paperwork. We're still not done in, in some ways with paperwork. Uh, but I found a little overview of adoption that gives us a great picture of earthly adoption and spiritual adoption, probably in the best format I've ever seen and the clearest format. And that's in the Oregon Law Digest. I don't know about you, but I, we do our devotions in the Oregon Law Digest. <laughs> Uh, but, but in this, it, we had to submit our Oregon, uh, the Oregon law of adoption to Japanese family court so that they can see this overview of what our state uh, allows and doesn't allow. And it says this, <clears throat> very legalese, but you'll hear the glory of the gospel in this somewhere. I'm going to read this quickly. Adopted person bears same relationship to adoptive parents as their kindred as if he were a natural child of such parents. Adopted person, his issue and kindred, take by interstate succession from adoptive parents, in other words, where the estate goes to, uh, in addition, the adoptive parents. Uh, uh, as though adopted person were natural child of adoptive parents. Adopted child's legal relationship with natural parents is same as if the child had not been born to them. Now think about this both with our three children, but also your relationship with God is that when you're adopted, it is though you were the natural child of adoptive parents. In Oregon's eyes, if we had biological children, which we don't, but if we did, the legal law to that child would be the exact same as it would be to our three adopted children. There is no legal difference. Now look at it as a Christian in the spiritual adoption. God has adopted you as a child of God as if you lived perfectly, as if you lived like Jesus did his whole life, that is how God looks at you. That is an amazing thought. That is an amazing thought. And I, you see this in this very stale Oregon law. Now, you see, we are not bringing kids into our home because they need three meals and, and kids need to be fed and have roof over them, but they need a family. That's their biggest need. And we do feed them, by the way, so make sure we're clear. When God adopts us, it's not just that we need to be righteous and holy. We do, but we also need a father. And that's why God adopts us. He, God adopts us to give us this relationship with him. We need that relationship with him. And he gives us a new name. And our name is son, daughter, Christian, heir. All the promises that go to Jesus come to us, because it is as if we were a natural-born son of God, as if we were like Jesus. All of the promises to Jesus come to us in adoption. Now, we brought our kids so much. I mean, we, we feed them, we house them, we clothe them sometimes. Uh, we give them a new name, and we took their Japanese name and moved it to their middle name. So Monito became Hudson Monito Koya. Yukito became Josiah Yukito Koya, and Miri became Grace Miri Koya. They, are, they have a new identity. They are our children, as if they were biologically born to us. They have this new name. They have our heirs. Uh, they are our heirs. 
our great wealth, that was a joke as an English teacher, trust me, our great wealth will all go to them. There is no contested sibling. My, my biological brother or sister couldn't fight to say that they are more in tune with, with that estate than our children are. There is nothing else. They are our children. We have no shared DNA, nothing. If we did Ancestry.com, uh, Southern Europe, uh, Eastern Asia, and there is no overlap whatsoever, but shared DNA doesn't always mean family. They are our kids. Spiritually, we are not literally the bloodline of pure Jewish blood. Some of you may be in here. I think I have a smattering of it. Some of you may have a bit of Jewish blood in you. But we still have all the rights of Abraham's promise because of Jesus. And this was, this was uh, Paul's point in Galatians, is that we are not Abraham's seed, literally, but we are fully Abraham's seed. We get all that promise, just like our children. We have no bloodline, but we have bloodline now. Those children are ours, and our family connection is forever forged in this. And I like this connection of the two, as we see. Russell Moore talks, has this great quote, and he says some of the problems that we have as Christians with adoption is that Russell Moore, in his book, Adopted for Life, says, the numbness to earthly adoption is easily translated to numbness in spiritual adoption. If we're numb to the power and the realities of your friends who have adopted children, or even just the thought of adoption, what that means in the earthly sense, if you're numb to that, then you're probably missing something, and you're numb with the spiritual adoption as well. I want to take a second to show you some numbing that I think we have in our hearts as Americans, as affluent Americans especially, how we look at our numbness to adoption. These are ways that we numb adoption in our lives. Let me give you a couple of these here. One of them is asking insensitive questions to adoptive families. Let me give you a couple. These are all real-life ones that I've heard in the last three months. Do you have any of your own kids? I said that phrase earlier to see if you were listening. You didn't even listen, did you? Because it just sounds so normal. Uh, do you have any of your own kids, or do you just have these Japanese ones? How much did he cost? Do you know anything about his mother? Are they related? That's always a good one. Because I know in, in, the, in, in my heart, I know what they mean. They look at Hudson and Josiah, and they kind of look alike, especially to your white faces, uh, <laughs> is that they may look alike, and uh, they'll, say, they'll say, are they related? And I know what they mean. They mean, are they biological brothers? But, you know, we could get, we're like, yes, they're related. But I just tried to, you mean biologically? You know, trying to help them so they don't make the same stupid mistake to the next adoptive family. You mean biologically? Yeah, biologically. No, they're not biological brothers, but they're brothers now. That's kind of my token answer. Uh, here's, a, here's a few. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll stop there, but th there were a few more. We recently had an um, adoption fundraising dinner at Pillar, Okinawa, and our community group was putting it on, and uh, as we were talking about some ideas to do some fundraising, one couple in the, in the group, and, and they were just, they meant it to just be funny, uh, and they just said, why don't we go around and grab some cute Asian girls, and we auction them off at the dinner. Can you see how that's not funny? I mean, it might at surface be funny, uh, and they apologized for it, uh, but it's, it's the idea that we, we, we become numb to the beauty of adoption on earthly levels when we say stupid stuff like that. I preached this similar sermon at uh, Pillar Okinawa, and I called him out by name, so that helped. 
I'm joking. I did not. Uh, here's another one that we numb adoption, is that we look at adoption as plan B, not plan A. If we can't have our own kids, I guess we'll try adopting. Now, let me tell you first off, that was us. We looked at adoption as plan B. We tried to have our own kids, and when that didn't work, well, I guess, I guess we'll do the, the second thing and adopt. And I say this to my shame. I say that to my shame because if I had known then what I know now about the beauty of adoption, we would have done that shortly after marriage, regardless of biological children or not. When we start to see that adoption is second best, we do something to adoption. It's not good for kids to hear this. It's not good for kids to be around a place where, well, we couldn't have our own kids, so we had, you know, we had to go and get you instead. Think about what that does. Think about what that does spiritually. If God, if we were plan B as Christians, well, the Jews didn't accept Jesus, so I guess he just had to settle with, with us Gentiles. Uh, there's something wrong with that. Just a month ago, I was walking by a conversation about one of our church family members who recently had a miscarriage, and it was, we were just in social time, and I was walking by, and, and she was telling another woman about her recent miscarriage, and the consoling words from the other woman, as she's holding her newborn cute baby, uh, says, well, you can always adopt. Let me tell you this, because you probably have said that to somebody, or somebody has said that to you, women who have had some miscarriages in here, is that that is not encouraging to women who's ha who have had miscarriage, and it's not encouraging for families who are uh, struggling with infertility. That kind of thing, you can always adopt, is not encouraging, nor is it a good view of adoption. Good? I feel like I'm chastising you, and I'm really not. I'm really not. Here. I really, I don't know you. I'm leaving tomorrow on an airplane, so I can say whatever I want. Uh, changing the word adoption, changing the meaning of what it means to, to use the word adoption, I think numbs us to the reality of what adoption is. We talk about adopting animals, adopting a highway, adopting a deployed soldier. All those things, I think, are damaging to the word of the real adoption, is that when we, when we use it incorrectly enough times, all of a sudden we lose the power and the beauty of this word. Do not tell me that bringing home a mangy cat from the shelter or picking up beer cans on the highway or sending cookies to some army guy in Afghanistan is the same as bringing home an orphan and making him your son. So we need to stop using those phrases. For, we're misusing the word for adoption, and it changes things. And then the last one uh, that I think makes us numb to adoption is that we ignore the pain and the hurt that adoption springs from. We have to understand this important fact that earthly adoption only happens after great pain. Something has gone askew for children to need adoption, and our children are no different. Of course, we don't want to dwell on this pain to little kids, but we understand that, that our children come from great suffering and pain. And sometimes we in the church, we focus in on the positives of, of adoption, which we ought to, by the way, um, but the process of adoption occurs when not everything goes right, but after everything has gone completely wrong for the birth mother and the child. Adoption comes from pain for both of them, and we need to understand that. We'd be fools to just talk about the beauties of it, but we have to understand for our three children to come into our home, three times of suffering has to ha had to have happened for that to occur. 
Now, we celebrate adoption in our house. We have what we know as gutcha day, that we celebrate that drive to the airport. For Hudson, it's in March. For Josiah, it's in May. And for Grace, is today, July 2nd. So when you see little Grace running around, you can say, happy gutcha day. Uh, we celebrate gutcha day. But at the same time, we know that there's another side of that equation somewhere in mainland Japan that may feel some pain and suffering and not the joy that the Koyas feel because of gutcha day. God uses pain and suffering in ways that we can't explain to bring us great joy and for his glory. And we have to understand that about adoption. And this principle is certainly true with spiritual adoption, isn't it? Is that for you to be adopted, it caused God great pain and suffering. God was separated from his son, went in an unfair trial, was tortured on a cross, and killed. That great pain and suffering was God used that to bring about our joy and happiness and freedom. Your adoption, Christians, cost God dearly, and we would do well to remember that more. One of the best pictures of the connection of earthly and spiritual adoption was a short video. I'm going to show this in a minute. I don't know how many videos you show here. Is this the first? Uh, it's a short video, but it made its rounds on the internet a few years ago. But it's a family with adoption, and I want you to see this connection. Well, heaven will look a lot more like the Dennehy house than our churches do. The Dennehy house is filled with kids of different colors, different ages, different cultures, different languages, different disabilities. And after this world, someday we'll all stand together, worshiping Jesus at the throne, and we'll kind of remember our life here, right? When we were looking at Jesus, we'll kind of remember who we were, what jobs we had, we'll kind of remember what our country was like, our career, we'll kind of remember our friends, our socioeconomic group, We'll remember all these things in the distance, but one thing that will be very clear to us that we will remember is that we are sons who have been adopted. And we'll know that because around the throne, I'll know that I'm adopted because that guy over there is adopted, and that guy's adopted, and that woman singing next to Jesus is adopted, 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 adopted. Everybody in heaven is adopted, and adoption is part of the gospel. There's only one in heaven who is not adopted, and that is Jesus. Jesus is the only one who is not adopted in heaven, but yet we have all the same rights as this natural-born son. The picture of the gospel is one that we ought to fuel our desire to adopt. It should overflow out of our great thanksgiving to God who has adopted us, and it should reflect, reflect a picture of Jesus to everybody. We should love adoption, friends, because Jesus loves adoption. And that should be something that we're willing to mess up our lives over, as they said in the video. We should mess up those manicured lawns that you have. And maybe we can't pay our HOA fees this month. Or maybe the perfect car that you have. Maybe we should have a little bit of mess in our lives. And adoption can mess up your life. Because now your family looks different. Your family acts different. But that is a good thing. We should love adoption because Jesus loves adoption. And we return to our Galatians passage here, and this is Paul's argument. He's perplexed with the Galatians because they're adopted, but they want to act like slaves. They'd rather be slaves than adopted sons. They would rather be a servant over an heir 
They'd rather be an orphan and act like an orphan over a son. And that is us as Christians. Now, Hudson and Josiah and Grace were once without a mom or dad to care for them, to love them, to play for them, to, to play with them, to comfort them, to teach them, about, teach them about the glories of Jesus and his saving work. But they're not orphans anymore. They're kohes, and we're glad for that. But they're not the only former orphans, earthly orphans in our midst. There's a few, and I'm so glad here. Now, uh, one of them is uh, there's our kids you know this family? Here's uh, adoption in Redemption Parker here in this community. We have Rebecca entering into the Oshman family. And uh, as I mentioned before, this was a very powerful uh, aspect to, to witness. We have the Marker family. Are they here today? Oh, oh good. Okay. The Marker family with, with Asher and Malachi, right? Uh, adopted locally here in Colorado, right? And so we have another, uh, former orphans now are part of something, part of a family. And then we also have the Morgan family with Eli, the three-year-old boy from China, coming into their family soon. Is it soon? Uh, and I love this picture. If you can see in the light, there's the, the kids have Mickey Mouse hats on, and then there's an empty one waiting for that Chinese boy's head to fill it. I love that. Uh, as... I like that idea that Redemption Parker already has a little bit of adoption in their DNA. And I think churches do well when that becomes traction to, for more adoption. Because when we have more earthly adoption, we can't help but look at the spiritual adoption. <clears throat> I was practicing this sermon, and, and my seven-year-old Hudson was on the bed reading. And after I was done, I was like, hey, did you hear that? And he says, yeah. I said, what did, what did you think of it? And he said, good. I was like... Do you think I should add anything? And he said, are you going to put pictures up of people who are adopting? And I said, yeah. And he asked about some families who are adopting in Okinawa. And I said, no, we're going to do some families who are adopting here at Redemption Parker. And he goes, oh, that's good. And I said, what should I do? you want to do anything with them? And he said, you should call them up to the front. And I said, what would we do? And he goes, we should clap for them. <laughs> so I won't call you up, but... <laughs> well, uh... All right. Well, as, as we look at this, we were all once orphans in this world, separated from our Father and our Creator, and it is because of God and God alone that we did not remain this way. You see, while we were sinners, the Bible tells us, Christ died for us. While we were rebels, Christ died for us. While we were outsiders and outcasts, Christ died for us. While we were liars and idolaters and murderers and pornographers, and cheaters, Christ died for us. While we were yet orphans, Christ died for us. Do you believe this? Do you live like this, friends? We need to understand that we are no longer living as a slave or as an orphan, but rather as a son. Our new name is Christian. Our new name is heir to the promise and a son, and that is great delight. Well, just closing here. <clears throat> We look, uh, if you're interested in this topic, I, I stole most of this stuff from Russell Moore anyway, so you've read half the book, just listen to me. Uh, but Adopted for Life by Russell Moore really helped uh, my thinking in this. And then as we are looking at what I said the purpose is, I hope that this gave you a richer perspective of God the Father. I hope for ways that you're looking for ways to financially and prayerfully help those who are trying to adopt and perhaps 
find tangible ways to care for the widows and orphans, which could include moving you toward earthly adoption. Not everybody should adopt. I mean, some of you definitely shouldn't adopt. Uh, but, but there are people here that perhaps you, you could move toward adoption in some way, whether that's helping other people or moving and adopting yourself. Mess up your life a little bit. That'll help you to trust in Jesus more. Uh, ways for financially, prayerfully helping those who are trying to adopt. With the Morgan family, I don't know anything about them. I, I met him briefly the other day. I don't know anything about their situation, but you better be having a baby shower for this baby. Okay, good. All right. Uh, what, what else? Right? She was going to announce it? Okay, good. Good. Do that. Uh, you know, when I was at, when Hudson came to us, uh, my school, they do like a, a sunshine fund where they have like new moms and dads, they get a little bag of, you know, like, well, and somebody had said, oh, Ron and Christy are adopting. And the woman's comment was, well, we only do this for real babies. Yeah. So, uh, th that's one way we can help somebody adopt, uh, and financially as well. I don't know their situation, but that might be a good question to ask. Adoption is a costly endeavor, and we can help with that in our Christian community. You can help with this here at Redemption Parker. I, I get nothing from this, so I can talk all about money I want. Uh, but there is, on the giving page of Redemption Parker, not only can you give online to the general fund, but there's a drop-down menu for an adoption fund. And I don't know how your church will come about uh, doling this money out, but wouldn't it be something if Redemption Parker had a fund ready so that money is not an obstacle for somebody who wants to move forward with adoption? So outside of your tithes and offerings, this could be something that you could give to an adoption fund that could sit here and be ready to help in need, whether that's to adopt or whether that's to help widows and orphans in time of need. Well, may Redemption Parker be a church that has this ethos of adoption in it as an overflow of the gospel. We'd like to talk to you if you have questions. We're not adoption agents by any means. We don't know anything about it other than our experience, but you've seen some pictures up here. Talk to these people about moving forward with adoption. And if you're not a Christian here today, let's talk about that greater adoption that turns slaves and rebels into sons and heirs. Pray with me, please. Father God, we thank you so much for the gift of adoption. We thank you that you, the Father of all the universe, adopts us and cares for us as children. We are so grateful to you for that, Lord. We pray that this message may resonate in hearts, Lord. May you move Redemption Parker into the ethos of adoption, Lord. May next year, when we visit, we see faces that don't look anything like their parents, Lord, for the glory and joy of you. Amen.